Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. Ira Wolf is a workforce trends expert, a top 10 thought leader on the future of work and HR, a TED Talker, author, public speaker, and host of the top-rated Geek Skeezers and Googleization podcast. You'll know Ira from his weekly Future Shock 2.0 segment on this podcast. And this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'll be talking to Ira about a remarkable topic that I don't think we pause enough to understand. It's the rise of the surveillance economy, and in particular, the corporate police economy, as some call it, from cameras at the workplace and at home tracking your every movement and productivity tools, algorithms counting and analysing your computer keystrokes. It's just breathtaking where we're at today. There are now microchips being developed which could take this a step further in monitoring workers and employees and the general mass population. Well, let's go over to China maybe in a moment. As I discuss in a wide-ranging interview coming up with Ira Wolf. The reality is is that's that's pushing the limits and having, you know, if you want to work for us, we have it we're going to implant a chip. <laughs> The chip, at the one hand, it's like, yeah, I don't want to have a chip in so they can monitor me. But this is really interesting. They are developing a microchip to replace certain organs. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. We'll get to my full interview with Ira Wolf in a wee moment. And here's a recent piece in the Financial Times, just to set the tone. According to the Financial Times recently, blue-collar workers are used to being monitored 24-7. Lean manufacturing facilities often have productivity screens right by workers' stations to see progress in real time and gauge whether staff should get a bit extra at the end of the day or be docked for not working hard enough. The article goes on. Likewise, low-wage service staff working in restaurants or retail chains often have their lives upended by algorithmic software that coordinates their schedules to customer demand, making it difficult to look after children or plan. And it goes on. Upper-level white-collar workers have historically enjoyed more humane evaluation methods, but now... Thanks to surveillance capitalism, as the article says, their progress is being tracked minute by minute too. And the number of employers using data surveillance software to monitor employees has doubled from the start of the COVID pandemic. A fascinating comment in the same Financial Times article, the author says... I'd argue that surveillance of employees working from home should be illegal and that surveillance in the workplace should be done only for limited time periods with full transparency and a clear purpose. Measuring the success of a new project, for example. We'll get Ira Wolf's take on that. It's going to be fascinating, insightful, and we're going to learn a lot. 
Ira Wolf, by the way, says his favourite topics include the future of work, labour market trends, leadership, recruitment, marketing, growth mindset and the urgent need for adaptability and community. And you can hear more from Ira Wolf each week on his Geeks, Geezers and Googleization podcast. It's really popular. And also coming up this week, Thursday, November the 17th at 11 a.m. ET, that's New York time here in the U.S., Ira will host a special live stream with the team from Odeon Capital Conversations. That's a great podcast. And the topic of the live stream is jobs, money and markets and what's in store for 2023. It will be streamed on LinkedIn, YouTube and Facebook. Again, with the team from Odeon Capital Conversations. That's Dick Beauvais, the famed bank analyst from Odeon Capital Group, Matt Van Alstein, Odeon co-founder and managing partner, and with yours truly, John Aidan Byrne. Odeon Capital Conversations has an especially thought-provoking episode just posted on the recent US labor force numbers explaining what you may be missing underneath the headline numbers. And Dick Beauvais gives us an amazing account of what has been happening at the giant US finance agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and how, in Dick's words, these agencies were illegally seized by the US government during the financial crisis. I urge you to listen to the latest episode of Odeon Capital Conversations and binge listen on past episodes. It's all up there on Apple, Google, Spotify and more. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. My guest is Ira Wolf, host of the top-rated Geeks, Geezers and Googleization podcast. Ira is a labour force expert, trend spotter, an author and TED talker. And on this episode, we'll be talking about the rise of the surveillance economy. Some even call it the corporate police state. And Ira will share his thoughts about that. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Ira Wolf, great to have you on this special episode of Dig Life Deep. Our listeners know you from your weekly segment on this show, Future Shock 2.0. We're having you back for this extended episode, a kind of an extended Future Shock 2.0, to talk about the surveillance economy. Since the pandemic, the reports are that big companies, small companies, median companies have ratcheted up their surveillance technology they're watching every movement by employees not that they weren't doing that in the past but they're apparently doing it much more intensively monitoring their emails um what they're doing at the office when they arrive at the office working remotely from home my first question for you is has this gone too far John, that's a great question. And as you know, with that introduction, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, you nailed it. I mean, this has been going on for a long time, not through technology, um, but time cards. It was like, when did you check in? When didn't you check in? And then for a while, 
people would have would arrive late and have somebody else check in. So then they had cameras around, you know, the, the time, the, the time machine. So that's been going on for a long time. And certainly as long as I've been in business or at least the last 25 years or so, I'd say uh, productivity. I mean, measure your steps. How long did it take you to answer the phone call? Call centers were notorious for this. Uh, what were you doing? Uh, and in order to improve productivity and, and every organization, whether you're profit or nonprofit, everybody needs to pay the bills. <laughs> Everybody needs to, to to keep the lights on. And whether you're profit or nonprofit, at the end of the day, you either need money to give away to other people or you need money to make a profit and satisfy the shareholders and, and live. So one way to improve productivity, individual productivity, make sure the best people are working and you're not just being busy, is to measure things. Okay, But the real issue is, as you hear that, is really a trust issue. It's really about trust. Because if you're moder- now, if you're monitoring me, you're tracking my keystrokes, you're looking at my eye movements, is how much screen time do I have? Uh, how long did I spend on that call? What am I doing? If if you're tracking, if you're tracking that, and I don't know why you're doing it, or I think you can use it against me, and there's no value for me as an employee, then yeah, I'm going to push back. I'm going to resist. Uh, and and so I, I think that's where we are. I, I think we we you know is it bad that companies are doing it? Do employees say, "Hey, don't you trust me? I'm trying the best I can." That's an age old problem. That's going to go on forever. Um, it's got a lot more complicated with technology now. Um, but do companies have a right? Do employers have a right to to find more productive ways? And if it's used correctly, that's going to benefit the employee. If I knew that, hey, you know what we found out. That 62% of the time we spend in meetings is not effective. So we're not going to do that anymore. And if you went in with that intention and employees believed you would actually cut out 62% of, of meetings, then there's a benefit. And then yeah, some people may resist, but others won't. The problem is we don't know what happens with the data and, and how's the data going to be used. And is the data going to use, and going back to the old Jack Welsh days, it's like, well, you're the lowest 10%, so you're going to lose your job. You said it there at the start that uh, monitoring and tracking has been there from the very start in archaic fashion, as it were, compared to today, for sure. Uh, employers knew when the cars pulled up at the parking lot, okay, uh, our workers have arrived at the factory or wherever, but it's become so sophisticated now. You'll know more about this, of course, that even truckers are monitored when they pull into the motel at night or not off. And I'm reminded to some extent of the ultimate totalitarian state here, China. I mean, they they monitor everything. It's zero COVID in China and uh, workers and the ordinary population, they're watched closely by Big Brother. I hope we're not going in that direction, Ira. That's what bothers me a little bit here. Well, we're we're way out of touch. You know, on Tuesday nights, I teach an organizational change class and we we're talking about um, disruption. And technology is moving way faster than individuals can keep up with. And individuals are moving faster than businesses can keep up with. But almost at a linear line, it's almost flat line, is public policy. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is technology has, has just, we're, we're living in an alternate universe, is what te- technology allows 
and what public policy, I won't say permits or when the rules and the regulations were made. So we're, we're not talking the same language. We're, we're basically, we got a manager from the 1980s trying to manage a remote workforce in, in 2000. And so there's just this disconnect, but it still goes back to trust. I mean, because let's take your scenario with, with trucking. So the benefit of, of the monitoring, what should be the benefit of the monitoring, is that truckers were no longer driving 18 and 20 hours a day or longer. It's like you have to stop at 10 hours or 12 hours. I don't know what the cutoff is, but there was a time is no, you cannot do that. Just like pilots. Hey, they got too many hours. So those times that's being monitored and they're trying to enforce it. So from a from a public safety, from an individual safety, uh, that makes sense. But then it's like, what happens after that? I mean, are, you know, companies don't always play by the rules and, and what are the boundaries set and do we trust people happening? But it's really odd. People distrust being monitored like that. But how many people that distrust the monitoring are walking around with an Apple Watch or a Fitbit? Mm. And that data is being collected and that data is being shared with insurance companies and with healthcare companies. Mm. Uh, and and but people are are willing to do that because the benefit is is like well I know I only had eight thousand steps today and I should have ten thousand or my heart rate's up uh, or my respirations are up or I need to move around a little bit so we're willing to accept monitoring if there's a benefit to it and we may not even understand who who gets all the data but there's some benefit that we get from it the problem with businesses is. There, it goes back to Big Brother or the authoritarian state. All that we're monitoring every step, what happens, but I don't trust that you won't use that against me. Yeah. Like if you're going to use that to compare me to somebody else, and therefore I'm not going to get a raise, I'm not going to get a promotion. Um, there's a whole debate going on now with remote and hybrid work. We talk about it on future work all, all the time. Is that remote, you know, there's a distrust. That if you're working remote, which is why they implement those things, is that you're not, how do we know you're not working? But if I'm working at home and I can be more productive because I don't have a meeting and I get I get all the work done or maybe exceed that work in six hours, why can't, compared to somebody in the office, why can't I cut off my screen? Why can't I detach? Why can't I get those two hours as a bonus if I met your goal? But that's not how it gets used. It gets done, well, why are we paying you for those other two hours every day? Or why are we paying you on Friday when you got all the work done for four days, but we're paying you Friday anyway? That's because somebody's more effective and more productive, they shouldn't be penalized for it. Great point. Um, so you, you, you mentioned, you brought up one word there, boundaries. That, that was interesting. So work from home, work at the office, um, the issue of surrendering our personal freedom because of all these productivity surveillance tools. On the one hand, yeah, we can increase productivity. On the other, we might lose a certain sense of privacy. Some people have a big problem with surveillance being intruding their home work life and the company officials being able to track the movements of the worker at home. Should, should there be limitations there? There's got to be some transparency. And, and again, I'm going to go back to trust. If there was transparency, 
if there was a conversation of why we're doing it and and just saying that, oh, trust me, we're going to use this in the right way. We're not going to use this against you is a whole other story because companies, nobody believes that. Uh, but if there's transparency and you can build trust and, and, and possibly work together of what, again, what benefit is there for an employee to be tracked? I mean, if they can, if they can become more productive, if the company looks at, at activities that they're required to do that aren't effective, or they look at technology that's not working. You know, why are you, why are you, you know, we noticed that you had 4,000 keystrokes and 2,500 of them were exactly the same, the same pattern. What can we do to help you not be (laughs) routine? But is the data being used that way? And I would say no, because even if you look at what's happening in the tech companies now, I mean, I don't want to go off on that, but the tech companies with the layoffs, I mean, everyone has said, whoops, we overplayed how fast we were going to grow. Now, these are the companies that have more data than anybody else in the world. And these are the people that have algorithms for everything. And they blew it on growth. So if, if they can't figure out how fast their business is growing, what are they going to do with all this data that they're collecting about individual uh, activities that they have? So just collecting the data, um, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I trust it, but there is a bit of hypocrisy here because the employees, again, they're sitting there with their Apple Watch and their Fitbit on and, and complaining about that. It, you know, it goes back to, I came from healthcare. And people would come in, they'll come in with their Apple Watch and their Fitbit, which is tracking all these devices, but I don't want to give you my social security number. Yeah. Why why do I because I don't want to, that you're invading my privacy. <clears throat> mm. Well, we've surrendered our privacy because of all the things oh, you've sure. just out, laid out there. The GPS tracking devices and um you know, the special iPhones and so on. Unless you're off the grid, I mean, you really can't disappear. From the planet somebody has your data and that's that's just ubiquitous today think about this ultimate hypocrisy think about people who use social media they're using facebook they're using twitter they're using TikTok, and they're concerned about their privacy about being monitored and that's all they do they're monitoring every response how long you're on what you type what you like what you don't like in order to give you a better experience so they'll go back to the original. People are willing to give up their privacy. They're willing to default to that and to use the technology. What they're not willing to do is give it up and not know and not get a benefit from it. So, you know, you can argue what the benefit from being on Facebook and Twitter and TikTok is. Um, but ultimately, people are willing to do that if they get something in return. And it could just be fun. It could be a laugh. It could be feel good. It could be an expression yeah. of emotion. Um but just monitoring it with this, that we're working on productivity, um, that's the problem. So there is no trust. It's it's amazing. This is very interesting. And um, two out of three firms now in the US and in other countries are using some kind of tracking technology. That's where we're at. And since the COVID pandemic, as we've discussed, you know, the number of companies ratcheting up their surveillance technology has accelerated. Um, I, maybe one of the downsides is the cookie cutter approach of tracking technology. For example, there are such things as soft skills 
and I use that to explain a situation where you may have a worker who's not at their desk in the cubicle typing away, processing the insurance claim or whatever, but instead is at the water cooler exchanging some ideas with another worker and they have a brainstorm which could ultimately be very productive. But that could be misunderstood by the boss as slacking off. Oh, well, it always has been. I mean, water cooler. Water cooler <laughs> talk is there were people that literally consultants that made a living from either encouraging you to hang around the water cooler or eliminating the hangout around the water cooler about too much time spent in the lunchroom. So the debate of whether it's good or bad or indifferent has been going on for my 40, you know, 40 plus years in business. I've heard those conversations all the time. Even when I had a healthcare practice, there were practice consultants that would talk about that. Why are, you know, why is everybody hanging out in the lab? Or why is everybody hanging out in the lunchroom? And there were, you know, dentists and physicians that would get upset with that. And there's others that encourage that because it created a relationship. That's where the conversations happened. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 but it's on steroids. I mean, it, it literally, you, you said, I mean, it, it's, it's scarier, it's faster, it's more involved. The tools that we're using uh, are much higher, are, are, are much more legitimate at tracking it. Um, it doesn't mean they're good, but they're they're more legitimate. But to think about this and, and put this in the light of employees, there was a study that just came out um, that's almost three out of four managers are looking and to get people back is they're going to make attendance part of the performance review. Attendance at work in person. In in person. So we're you know how do we get people back? They're not doing it voluntarily. We're going to make attendance part of the performance review. At the same time, a new study that little that just came out uh, uh, just today is that it, from the uh, the state of the remote work stated that almost seven out of ten employees said that they'll quit before they come back, uh, and it just you know it goes on from there. So there's a complete disconnect from there. Now, if they said, "Listen, you can work from home, but we're going to track you, and we're going to do a, an evaluation to see." Are you really more productive at home or are you more productive at work? And which activities are you more productive at home? And which activities are you are we more productive in the workplace? And that's not going to fix everybody's mindset. But if if the intention was and there was a trust built up that we're doing this to ensure that we want you to be able to stay home as many hours and as many days a week as possible, but we've discovered that that we just can't accomplish we can't just accomplish this particular task or project or teamwork or or deliverable whatever it is without you here so we are going to require you that you come in for one day a week or two days a week but the other three days yeah you're right you are more productive at home and once that's done you can start turning off some of that equipment but you have like anything else if you don't measure it you don't know and that's where we are so the debate over hybrid, remote, uh, and and in person work is going to continue on until we collect until we monitor people to collect that data. But there's put so. But then you got is it legal? Is it not legal? Is what's the yeah. pushback? What what's the morale like when you do that? But I'm not sure anybody's having that conversation 
to say, listen, our goal is to see maybe it is more productive that you work from home five days a week. And we were wrong. But we can't do that if we don't, if we're not monitoring any of this information. And we are all in foreign territory. There is no one that has figured out the blend of is, is remote work better? Is in-person work better? Is hybrid better? What's the, what's the variation of that? How many hours? How many days? What works best? Is it, does some people work better in the office? Do some people work better at home? Um, what type of equipment we need? We don't know that. And everybody's just winging it. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's making it up. As we go along, the plane took off three years ago, and and you know people are still trying to figure out how do we keep it in the air. It's still rocky, and nobody's even said how do we land it. So we're a long ways off from really knowing where it um, shakes out and the benefits or upsides, downsides. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Ira Wolf, host of the top-rated Geeks, Geezers and Googleization podcast. Ira is a labor force expert, trend spotter, an author and TED talker. And on this episode, we'll be talking about the rise of the surveillance economy. Some even call it the corporate police state. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. There's at least one company... In America, and I spoke to them it's a while ago now, but I'm sure there are multiple companies in the same fields. This is really freaky science fiction on some level that they can implant a microchip uh, anywhere in your body so that when you come in through the, the portals or the front office or whatever, your boss will know worker ABC has arrived. What do you think of that? And I, I love the science fiction. And, you know, I talk about, you know, we're living in a time where the, the lines between science fiction and reality are blurred. First of all, I will say that's probably pushing the limits, at least at this point in time. However, um, 20, 30, 40 years from now, I don't know if, you, if, if I'm going to be around to see this or or, or give you feedback on it um, in 20 or 30 years. But the reality is, is that's, that's pushing the limits and having, you know, if you want to work for us, we have it, we're going to implant a chip, <laughs> the chip at the one hand, it's like, yeah, I don't want to have a chip in so they can monitor me. But this is really interesting. They are developing a microchip to replace certain organs. Mm. So let's say, um, you have, pa- you're, well, not pancreatic cancer, but let's say you, your pancreas goes, Let's say your heart goes, you know, right now we need a transplant. So the next best thing we have is 3D printed hearts or 3D printed vessels. So that's some technology. But they're also developing a microchip because all the heart is, is a pump. It's a muscle and it pumps blood. What if it could be controlled by a microchip that it could pump and and the microchip is embedded into us? Instead of having heart surgery, instead of having a heart uh, transplant, what if our organs can be replaced by a microchip? My guess is most people would go, yeah, I would do that. But then you get that fine line between 
okay, you can implant an organ, but that that microchip's going to allow monitoring, but you yeah. can't do it at work. And again, just thinking about that, where our public policy is, where our laws and regulations are, the fact is, is that we can't even figure out remote and hybrid work because this is so difficult for a business to employ people in multiple states that cross lines. So we have the technology that anybody can work anywhere, yeah. but it's so complicated to pay them legally and to set up Nexus and do all those things. So thinking about putting a microchip in somebody is like, as a total disconnect. Now, is that going to happen? Yeah, it probably will happen. We can't, you can't um, stop the progress and race of technology, but it's moving so fast we can't keep up on the policy making end. But yeah, I can just think of other things. We have drone technology, um, mapping technology. I get somebody's address, I can see their home, their garden, front yard, backyard, or apartment. It's just extraordinary, really. And when you pause to think about it, we haven't realized, many of us, how far we've come even in the past four or five years. Oh, absolutely. And I'll, but I'll, and I'll go back to something I've been saying since day one, almost day one. I don't know if it hit me on day one of when everybody went home. So from March, middle of March 2020 is like, what would our world have been if we didn't have the technology? What would have happened to the pandemic? Because everybody was had Zoom fatigue. Everybody was tired of that. But the reality is, if we didn't have the technology that we had, we didn't have the Ubers and we couldn't have the delivery and we didn't have apps that we can order and we didn't have all, all that technology, then our we would have had a lot more people unemployed or we would have had been forced that people would have been forced to continue to go to work to deliver yep. these services without safety. We would have had many, many more people that were sick, many more people that would have died. Um, and we were, we had overwhelmed the system as it was. So technology saved us from a greater catastrophe than we had, but because we were just thrown into the mix, no one had time to figure out the rules, regulations, what are the boundaries? How do we establish trust? Now, over time, there's some companies that did a really, really good job at doing that. They 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 had conversations. They were considerate. They they mon they monitored the employees' attitudes of how things were going and the engagement. And other people just said, "We don't trust you, so you have to keep your screen on all the time, and we're going to manage your keystrokes." Um, you know the, that that's Big Brother. That's just I won't even say it's Big Brother. That's just bad management. It's just yeah. bad leadership, bad management. Um, it's it's hey, keep your door open so I can see that you're working. So some some of this stuff is not new either. If you really thought about it, because even during elections and um, you know, the slick and sophisticated uh, campaign operatives can use a lot of polling data and data available online to sort of micromanage campaigns. So we see where all of that is. I mean, I, th I think a lot of it's about striking a fine balance and that our privacy is not interrupted and invaded in a way that is unacceptable. Um, we certainly don't want, as some analyst calls it, surveillance paranoia. We don't want that kind of a thing. And we don't want a China-style police state either. Yeah, I, I'll go back. I've said this a few times. Trust and boundaries. And the boundaries get wider, the more trust you have. 
So if the consideration is that I feel that you're invading my privacy, that may be true, but we already recognize that people are willing to give up. They're, they're willing to open the boundary up or extend the boundary if they get something in return. And therefore, it's I don't trust that you're going to use it properly or I don't trust that I'm going to get any benefit. This is all for you, the employer. The employees have to get some benefit from being monitored. On that note, Ira Wolf, thank you for being on my show. And we'll have you back next week for our regular segment of Future Shock 2.0. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.